Amen. Thank you, Wong. Great thought. Good job. Go ahead and get in your Bible to Psalm 100. I don't know what you do when somebody sings. I went back in my own mind to when Christ set me free. And if you're here and you're saved, Christ has set you free. And if you're here and you're not saved, it's a good day to get set free. If you don't have a Bible with you, there should be one near you. It's got a hard black cover. We will be on page 467, Psalm 100. Paul, of course, told the Corinthian believers to flee from idolatry. And those of us who believe in the Lord Jesus Christ are commanded to flee from idolatry, which simply means that there should not be anything or anyone that you and I hold any higher, spend any more time, or have any more love for than the God of the Bible, great Jehovah God, Lord Jesus Christ. And we have been for several weeks now in a 21 message series on Sunday mornings. I think after today, I only have three more weeks in this series left. I've been thinking and praying about what to do next. I have some thoughts on that, but we've been talking about learning of him to flee from idolatry. Last week, we talked about our creator being long-suffering. God is long-suffering. To be long-suffering just means more than being patient. It is being patient, but being pained with people in situations while you patiently wait for the result that you're looking for. We talked about how God is patient but pained with people who reject his loving offer of salvation through Jesus Christ. We talked about long-suffering being available to believers because it is part of the fruit of the Spirit. We talked about us not being able to have any healthy, long-term relationships if we do not choose to build long-suffering into our character because every one of us at times needs someone to be patient though pained with us and we rejoiced in a savior who is long-suffering to usward as you and i work through the issues of life and faith paul in first corinthians 8 told the believers though there be many that are called gods there is but one god Though there is but one God, the world into which you and I have been sent today is a world where there are many that are called gods. It is a big deal today, just like it has always been a big deal, to proclaim that Jesus of Nazareth is the only Savior and that Jehovah is the only true God. And the world to which you and I have been sent with that message, it doesn't appreciate that message. But the fact of the matter is, is we don't take the message of Jesus Christ crucified, risen, and coming again to our world because it is popular. We are witnesses to that message in our world because Christ sent us with that message. And though there are many purposes for the Bible, the most important purpose for the Bible is for us to know who God is, for God to reveal himself to man. You can look around at the world around us and in the complexity of biology and the beauty of nature know that there is a God. But you can't look at biology or nature and know what that God is like. If we want to know what that God is like, if we want to know what our Creator is like, we must look in the Bible. Unfortunately, way too many people create a personality for God or a personality, if you will, for the Lord Jesus that they created in their own mind. And that's an idolatrous view of our Creator because Jesus is who He revealed Himself to be. And I want to learn of Him so I can flee from idolatry. It's a story told about a boy who was walking with his dad down a country road and 
The boy, like teenage, all teenagers at some point or another, he was struggling to get along with other kids around him, and his life, just frankly, was harder than what he expected it to be. And he looked at his dad, and he said, I, I don't know what I'm going to do. I, I have so many problems right now. I just can't see the goodness of God. God isn't being good to me. And the father just listened as his son talked. But a few minutes later, as they walked, they passed by a cow pasture with a stone fence. The stone fence was facing the road, and one of the cows had its head over the top of the stone fence and was looking around. The father said, son, why do you suppose that cow is looking over that stone wall? The teenager had no idea. In fact, he felt his dad was being a little flippant with him, and he said, I don't know. The dad said, well, the cow is looking over the wall because she can't see through it. Sometimes we have to do that because sometimes what we know God to be is something that we can't see at that moment. We just need to look over them and know that God is good even though we can't see it through the stone wall. This morning, if you're able to stand, if you would stand, please, in honor. The Word of God, the title of my thought this morning is God is good. God is good. Psalm 100, verse 1, psalm of praise. Make a joyful noise unto the Lord, all ye lands. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before his presence with singing. Know ye that the Lord, he is God. It is he that hath made us, and not we ourselves. By the way, if you think you are self-made, you're mistaken. We are his people, the sheep of his pasture and into his gates with thanksgiving, and into his courts with praise. Be thankful unto him, and bless his name. Why should we do all of that? For the Lord is good. His mercy is everlasting, and his truth endureth to all generations. Thank you. You might be seated. One of the oft-repeated aspects of the character of our Creator is the fact that God is good. In fact, that's how verse 5 starts out, for the Lord is good. The psalmist makes clear the goodness of God, and the goodness of God is manifested in the everlasting mercy of God, and it is also manifested in the fact that truth was not just available in the days of the prophets and the days of the apostles. Uh, Truth is also available for us today in the Bible. God is good. In fact, one of the many reasons why you and I should be thankful unto God is the fact that God is good. Turn up a couple of pages to Psalm 106. In Psalm 106, verse 1, it says, Praise ye the Lord, O give thanks unto the Lord, for He is good, for His mercy endureth forever. And it wasn't enough for the psalmist just to simply say that once as he wrote that inspired song recorded for us in Psalm 106. If you turn up one song in one psalm to Psalm 107 in verse 1, it says, Oh, give thanks unto the Lord, for he is good, for his mercy endureth forever. God is good. In fact, we just read three statements about it, and as far as I can tell, there are at least 22 times where the Bible, both in the Old Testament and the New Testament, directly states that God is good. 
Now, in contrast to what believers see through eyes of faith, the average person looks at the trouble uh, in their own life and in this broken world, and they wrongly conclude that God is not good. But hear me this morning when I say God is good, and people looking in the wrong place will always fail to see the goodness of God because we live in a broken world, and the people around us are broken but God is still good. The average person looks at a pod of killer whales playing with a baby seal before they're eating it, and they wrongly conclude that God is cruel or he does not exist. But despite what killer whales do, God is in control and God is good. Hear me when I say the character of God is not on full display in the fallen creation around us. God's power and God's Godhead are on display in creation, but God's character is revealed in the Bible. Goodness means positive in nature, not spoiled or ruined, morally excellent, worthy of respect, virtuous. God is good. He is not spoiled nor ruined. He is morally excellent. He's worthy of respect. He is perfectly virtuous. In fact, go back a few pages to Psalm 27. Because there's a lot of people that think, well, you know what, oh sure, God is good, and someday, because I know Christ, I'll see God in heaven, and then I'll know that God is good. I want you to understand that God's goodness will be on display in heaven. But understand, you can see the goodness of God today. In Psalm 27, in verse 13, the psalmist says a psalm of David. He said, I had fainted. I would have failed. I would have quit unless I had believed to see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. See, it isn't just that the goodness of God that will be on display one day in the kingdom of Christ and the goodness of God that will one day be on display in heaven, in the golden city of God. Listen, in this life, I expect to see the goodness of God what kept the psalmist going in difficult moments and let me just say this morning I also plan to see the goodness of God during my life and the glory of God I have seen it in fact so is everyone else here if you would pause long enough to notice what you have that's good instead of focusing on what you do not have hear me when I say this if evolution were true there'd be no reason for any love or goodness to even exist in our world Evolution is the survival of the fittest. Evolution is a survival by tooth and claw. But why, if there was no creator, is there so much goodness and love in our world in addition to all the other things that are going on? There isn't a person here who hasn't enjoyed the goodness of God in the sunshine and the rain and a smile of a child. There isn't a person here who hasn't enjoyed the goodness of God in the love of a family member or a friend. There isn't a person here who hasn't enjoyed the goodness of God in laughter, pleasure, and whatever measure of life and health you and I have that enabled us to be here this morning. And most clearly and most importantly of all, we see the goodness of God toward us all in sending the Lord Jesus Christ, His only begotten Son, to suffer and die for our sins on a cross and rise from the dead to reach out to every one of us as an individual to offer us forgiveness and eternal life as a gift. 
I love singing the chorus, God is so good. If I could sing, I'd sing it. But I can't sing, so I'll spare you. But I will just say this, God is so good. I'm not making light of difficulties or extreme difficulty that shows up at times. I'm just saying to everyone within the sound of my voice, the Lord is good, His mercy is everlasting, and His truth endureth to all generations. There's a story told about a man who rose to become king in Africa, and he had a close friend that he kept with him who was a friend from his childhood. But the friend had the habit of looking at every situation that ever occurred, and he would say, this is good. Uh, frankly, some people found that habit irritating. Well, one day, the king and his friend were out hunting, and the friend would load the king's gun and inadvertently put too much powder in one of the guns, and when the king fired it, it blew his thumb off. And while the king was screaming and there in pain and bleeding and holding his thumb, the friend said, this is good. Well, the king replied, this is not good, and he put his friend in jail. About a year later, the king, even though he knew he shouldn't be in that particular area, was taken captive by cannibals who tied his hands, they tied him to a stake, and they put wood around him, and they were preparing to burn him and eat him when one of the men lighting the fire noticed that his thumb was missing. And because they're superstitious, they don't eat anybody who wasn't whole. And so they let the king go on his way, and he then felt bad that he had put his friend in jail, so he went to the jail to find his friend, and the king said, I'm so sorry for sending you to jail for so long. It was so bad for me to do this. And his friend said, this is good. And the king immediately was irritated again with his friend. He said, what do you mean this is good? How could it be good that I sent my friend to jail for a year? And the friend said, if I had not been in jail, I would have been with you, and the cannibals would have eaten me. I'm not making light of any of the difficulties we all face or extreme difficulties that some of us face at times. I'm saying this, things are not always what they seem to be. And what things seem to be at times give people the wrong idea about the goodness of God. Listen, if we're just being honest, it's difficult to see the goodness of God in a home where abuse is common instead of love and grace. It's difficult to see the goodness of God when the doctor comes back and says, it's cancer. It's difficult to see the goodness of God when we stand by the casket of a loved one that we think died too soon or too painfully. It's tough to see the goodness of God in the evil that we watch regularly on the news day after day after day. But hear me when I say to you this morning, things are not always what they seem when you and I look at them with our limited knowledge. God is always good. I do agree. Some situations more clearly manifest the evil of Satan and the twisted nature of man. But that doesn't mean God isn't good. God is always good, whether we see it or not. In fact, can I give you some of the best spiritual advice you'll ever get? Take God off trial with the events of your life. Please don't be the kind of person who said, 
says, well, God is good when you're healthy, but not good when you're sick. Listen, God is good whether we're healthy or sick. His goodness is easier to see when we're healthy. But God is always good. Please don't be the kind of person who says God is good when your paycheck is good and not good when your company closes. Because God is always good, whether we have cash in our pocket or are broke. Now, His goodness is easier to see when we have cash in our pocket, but God is always good. There's a reason the psalmist in Psalm 52.1 says this, the goodness of God endureth continually. And because God is good, we can trust His plan for eternal life by faith in Jesus Christ as the best plan for salvation. Because God is good, we can trust God's plan for how we should live our life here and now though it's not always easy to follow his plan. Because God is good, we can trust his gifts and calling in our life were really actually best for us. Because God is good, we can trust the circumstances and events that he allows in our life. Because God is good, we can trust the things he does not allow us to have in life. Because God is good, we can trust the future he has planned for this world and for those who believe in the Lord Jesus. And though obscured by both man and devil at times, this morning we should all agree with the psalmist when he said in Psalm 33, 5, the earth is full of the goodness of the Lord. And what I'd like to do this morning for just a few minutes is make some observations and applications of our Creator being good. You would please first turn in your Bible to Luke chapter 13. Luke chapter 13. Luke chapter 13. Here's number one. Because God is good, Bad things in our life and our world were not directly caused by him. Because God is good, bad things in our life and in our world were not directly caused by him. It's an interesting story in the life of Jesus here, beginning in verse 10 of Luke 13. He was teaching one of the synagogues on the Sabbath, and behold, there was a woman which had a spirit of an infirmity 18 years. Was bowed together and could no wise lift up herself. Notice she couldn't stand up straight. And it wasn't for 18 minutes, it wasn't for 18 hours, it wasn't for 18 weeks, it wasn't for 18 months, it was for 18 years. She could not straighten and stand up. Verse 12, and when Jesus saw her, he called her to him. Said unto her, woman, thou art loose from thine infirmity. He laid his hand on her and immediately she was made straight, glorified God. The ruler of the synagogue answered with indignation, because that Jesus had healed on the Sabbath day and son of the people. There are six days in which men ought to work, and them therefore come and be healed, and not on the Sabbath. The Lord then answered him, this is the real Jesus, by the way. This is in public. This is in the synagogue this man is leading. Thou hypocrite. Doth not each one of you on the Sabbath loose his ox or his ass from the stall and lead him away to watering? And ought not this woman, being a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan hath bound low these 18 years, be loosed from this bond on the Sabbath day? When he had said these things, all his adversaries were ashamed. With good reason. 
And all the people rejoiced for all the glorious things that were done by him. See, the message of this story is not to see the devil in every difficulty or to go around rebuking Satan for every malady in life. But it is a fact that in this case, this woman was particularly afflicted by Satan and unable to stand or pray for 18 years. I just remind everybody, it was Satan who brought sin and sickness into a world with no sin and sickness when he tempted Eve and Adam chose his wife over obedience to God. It was Adam who brought sin and sickness into a world where there was no sin and sickness when he willfully defied the one rule that his creator had given him there in Eden. When God finished with creation, it's described as very good. Everything bad in our world was brought here either by Satan or man. By the way, thankfully, Jesus set this woman free from Satan's bondage. Listen, I understand that God has the power to change or stop anything he chooses to change or stop. And there's no human being from our limited perspective who will ever agree with what he changes and stops. But the fact is, everyone here appreciates free will from God until someone else uses their free will in a way we don't like. Everyone appreciates free will from God until our teenager or adult child does something we don't like. Listen, by the grace of God, people are free to choose to believe, obey, and love God, their good creator, or they're equally free to disbelieve, disobey, and reject the good God who gave them that life and freedom. But know this, though we are free to choose God will choose the consequences. Did you hear me? Just because you and I are free to choose what we do and don't do, we are not free to choose what results from them. God will choose that. Listen, there are two individuals and two forces at work in our world. There is a force for evil in Satan. There's a force for good in God. And those who blindly reject the existence of Satan will never understand the events of our life or this world. And those who ignorantly reject God because of all the evil in this world, they haven't paid any attention to where it really comes from. Hear me this morning and thank God that nothing hatched in the heart of our evil spiritual adversary ever makes it into the life of a child of God without allowing it to be so. Satan couldn't do anything to Job without God approving it. You say, I don't like what he approves. Or join the crowd. Listen, I think it's tough on all of us recognizing the fact that we're not God. And we, we, we don't really know what's best for us. We, we, we don't really know what adversity we need to become what we're designed to be. We don't really need what kind of difficulties our children need to go through to become what they really need to be. I want you to just know this morning that God is good and nothing makes it to his children without first flowing through his loving hands. Let me ask you this morning, are you looking at the bad things in your life or in this world in the wrong way? Are you blaming God for something he did not cause? But it's not just that because God is good, anything that is not good in our life or in this world 
was caused by Satan or man. Secondly, this morning, please go in your Bible to Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. God is good. Because God is good, anything that is bad in our life or bad in the world was not caused by God. Here's number two. Because God is good, there is some good purpose or good end to every bad thing in our life. Because God is good, there is some good purpose or good end to every bad thing in our life, especially the life of a faithful follower of Jesus. Romans 8, 28, a pretty familiar verse, and we know that all things, not some things, all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to His purpose. Because God is good, anyone who honestly pauses to consider their life will recognize God's goodness to them. Listen, God has been good to me, and God has been good to you. God can't help being good and doing good because God is good. Listen, it's no accident that Peter described Jesus this way in Acts chapter 10. He said of Jesus, he went around doing good. I love that description of Jesus. We're so familiar and thankfully familiar with the fact that he suffered and he bled and he died on the cross for our sins. Thank God for that, but understand that he went around doing good and if there was a piece of paper on the floor, he picked it up. And if there was somebody who needed a board carried, he carried the board. If there was somebody carrying too much weight, he helped them carry with the hat. He is good and he went around doing good. Now this particular promise in Romans 8 is actually wrongly applied by well-meaning people. It is actually a promise to faithful believers. Notice, all things work together for good. Who? To them that love God. Loving God and believing God, they're two different things. To them that love God. To them who are the called according to His purpose. If you're a believer and you love God and you are sincerely trying to fulfill God's gifts and calling in your life. Listen, everything in your life will work together for good. Listen, no reasonable person can look at every individual event and conclude that that specific thing is good. It says all things work together for good. Listen, cookies are good. Especially oatmeal raisin cookies. Especially oatmeal raisin cookies with no walnuts or pecans and a little bit of coconut. Cookies are good. But nobody eats all the individual ingredients and says that was a good ingredient. Yeah, pass the flour. I'd love a spoonful. Oh, butter, good. Yeah, let me stick my fork in there. Listen, the individual events in our life are not good sometimes in themselves. But God, who is good, works them together for good. The life of a faithful Christian is like that. Now, nobody would say, wow, I've got cancer. Good. No, no, nobody does that. But God works all those events together in the life of His faithful children in such a way that if you and I respond rightly to them, they become good for a faithful follower of Jesus. Listen, all over this room are believers in Jesus who do love God, who do sincerely try to fulfill His gifts and calling in their life, 
And if I gave you opportunity, you would lift your hand and testify that God used the events of your life that individually were not good, and he worked them together for good in your life. Let me ask you, are you looking at your trials the wrong way? Are you angry at God instead of looking for the good he hoped that you would recognize and respond to that event? But it's not just that because God is good, there is some good purpose or good end to everything that happens to us. Here's number three. Because God is, because no person is perfectly good, every person needs to turn to Jesus Christ and repent. Remember, because God is good, everything that happens in our life or in this world, if it's bad, it was not caused by God. Uh, remember, because God is good, there's a good purpose and good end to every bad thing. And thirdly, because no person is perfectly good, every person needs to turn to Jesus to be saved. Look at Romans chapter 3, just back a couple of pages. By the way, when you come to a big biblical church, one of the things that will happen all the time is they will turn in the Bible and they will take some place in the Bible literally, and they will use that to prove that we should believe this or not believe that, that we should do this or not do that. You say, where does that method come from? By the way, it comes from Jesus. It comes from all the New Testament authors. And notice here, Paul is going to prove something. And in order to prove something, he's going to quote the Bible taken literally. Romans chapter 3, verse 9. What then? Are we better than they? Are the Jews better than the Gentiles? No, and no wise. For we've before proved, both Jews and Gentiles, that they are all under sin. So how would you prove that both Jews and Gentiles are all under sin? Verse 10. As it is written. Now he's going to quote Psalm 14. There's none righteous, no, not one. There's none that understandeth. There's none that seeketh after God. They are all gone out of the way. They are together become unprofitable. There is none that doeth good. No, not one. <laughs> Listen, compared to other people, you might be good. By the way, I hope you are. And I really have no issue. Sometimes we, we use the phraseology, he's a good person or she's a good woman. And, and the Bible does that on a couple of occasions. It's not like there's anything wrong with that. But understand, theologically speaking and compared to God our Creator, there is none good no not one you see god god would no longer be perfectly good if he allowed anyone in heaven who hadn't been made perfectly good the only way to be made perfectly good is for christ to change our life you see we need the goodness of god imputed to us through jesus christ his goodness applied to our heavenly account and that's exactly what happens when you and i get saved you see no one in heaven will ever boast and they'll sit back there as they look at the jasper walls and the golden street that goes through the new jerusalem and the river of life flowing down through the tree of life that goes on for hundreds of miles from the throne of god no one's going to look around and think to themselves wow i'm so glad that i was good in life so that i could be here hear me no one will boast of their own goodness there all the boasting will be in the shed blood of Jesus and the grace of God that gets anyone to heaven who actually gets there. And that's what verse 27 says of Romans 3. Where is boasting then? It's excluded. 
By what law of works? Nay, but by the law of faith. Therefore we conclude that a man is justified by faith without the deeds of the law. The only way to be justified in God's sight is faith. Faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. By the way, saving faith is more than knowing Jesus exists. By the way, it is more than believing that He is the Son of God. It's more than knowing that He rose again from the dead. The devil knows all those facts. Saving faith is to come to the knowledge of those things, to believe them, and then choose to humble yourself, to call upon and trust the living Savior for your salvation. The average American is trusting some form of their own goodness and think that they will one day receive eternal life from God because of it. But hear me this morning when I'm saying to you that God is not looking at some scales to tip just slightly to the good to let people in. God is looking for the perfect goodness of Jesus Christ. Have you been saved? Do you have a genuine salvation experience because it leaves your heart changed in some way? And if you're choosing to trust your own goodness instead of the goodness in the suffering, shed blood, death, and resurrection of Jesus, you're trusting the wrong thing. Are you looking at your own goodness in the wrong way? Have you humbled yourself to admit you're a sinner and guilty in the sight of a perfectly holy God and in His goodness who provided Christ as Savior? Have you looked to Christ? Have you called upon Him? Have you been born again? Did you say a prayer that left you unchanged? Is this brand new to you? Is Christ in your life? Today is the day of salvation. I can't think of a better thing to do than to call upon the Lord. But it's not just that because none of us are perfectly good, we must seek forgiveness and salvation from Jesus Christ. Lastly this morning, number four, because God is good, believers should build as much goodness in our life as possible. Because God is good, believers should build as much goodness as we can in our life. Romans chapter 12, verse 9, Romans 12 Just a couple pages up. First few chapters of Romans are very doctrinal. The last few chapters are very practical. And here in the practical section of the book of Romans, he says in verse 9, he says, let love be without dissimulation. That means hypocrisy. He says, abhor that which is evil. Cleave to that which is good. Uh, By the way, if I cannot judge what is evil and what is good, I cannot abhor that which is evil and cleave to that which is good. So clearly there are some things I'm supposed to judge despite what comes out of the mouths of some. As a believer, you and I have been instructed to cleave to that which is good, to define it, to find it, and embrace it and bring it close. Listen, there's no greater goal in life for a believer than to be more like Jesus. To be more like the good God who created us and saved us. To be godly in this present world. In fact, did you know that you and I as a believer in our goodness, in our choice to live good, it is the best ammunition we have against the evil in our world. Look at verse 21 of Romans chapter 12. He says, be not overcome of evil. Notice the recipe. 
overcome evil with good. Overcome evil with good. That's not overcome evil with guns. Listen, I own a bunch of them. If you break into my house, listen, chances are real good. I'm going to shoot you. I will have no remorse. But the solution to the evil in America is not a bunch of Christian people arming themselves to the top of their ears with ammunition and guns. The way we change America is not to shoot. The way we change America is to do what's good. And to do what's good is part of godliness. To live godly in this present world. And though the list of qualities that Believers should be trying to build into our life as followers of Christ as a long one. It is certainly that that, certain that that list should contain that we should be good people. Good employees. Good neighbors. Good friends. Good citizens. Good Christians. Good parents. Good teammates. Good students. Good children. Good husbands. Good wives. Good people. Good workers. Of course, Followers of Jesus should actively be doing things that are spiritual, of course. We should be reading our Bible. We should be praying. We should be committed to one of the Lord's churches. We should be his witnesses. We should tithe. Of course. But listen, we're supposed to be good. Our Savior was good. He went around doing good. And that extends beyond the walls of our church and the walls of our home. We don't aspire to be good so God would save us. He saves us through faith in Christ. We don't inspire to be, aspire to be good so God will love us. Listen, God loves us because God is love. It has nothing to do with our behavior. We aspire to be good because God is good. And because manifesting his goodness in our life honors our good God and Savior. It's how we overcome evil. It's the best way to inspire others to repent. Did you know that? I'll turn back a few pages to Romans 2. So why do you keep turning around in the Bible? Hey, because I'm trying to prove something to you. Hey, listen, you can go all over the place and find a church where they dim the lights out there so they're so dim you can't see your Bible. This ain't one of them places. Oh, sorry, that's bad grammar. Um, This is not one of those sorts of dwelling places. Romans chapter 2, notice the end of verse 4, says, Or despisest thou the riches of his goodness and forbearance and longsuffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leadeth thee to repentance. See, today, because of the goodness of God, I'm calling you to repentance. If you're a believer, I'm calling you to repentance, not because you'll give account of yourself at the judgment seat of Christ, but you will. I'm calling you to repentance because of the goodness of God in your life. He has given you salvation by grace. He has placed his Holy Spirit to permanently live inside you, to seal you, to teach you, 
to comfort you? He has given us eternal life through Jesus Christ. He's given us the kind of salvation that is kept by his power, not ours. God has been good. And I call you to repentance. This morning, if you're not saved, I'm calling you to repentance. Not because if your name is not written in the Lamb's book of life, you'll be cast into the lake of fire. Though if your name is not written in the Lamb's book of life, you will be cast into the lake of fire. That's not why I'm calling you to repentance. I'm calling you to repentance because of the goodness of God in life. Your life. Think about the love you've felt. The smiles you've seen. The times you laughed. The eyes of a child who called you mommy or daddy. The sunsets. The warmth of a morning sunrise. And on and on and on I could go all while you lived doing life your own way in rebellion against the Creator who so loved you that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. I'm calling everybody here this morning to take God off trial. To stop making the goodness of God a servant to whether your life is hard or easy at this point. There's a story told about a little boy who'd been invited to a friend's house to play and he was really excited and he started counting down the days he could go over there. In the morning he was supposed to visit, he was devastated, he woke and looked out the window and there was a blizzard. His little town was deeply snowed in. The snow was still falling in wet, heavy flakes. The wind was howling. And his father said, I don't think you should go to your friend's house. The little boy was devastated. He began begging his dad to go. And finally, much to the little boy's surprise, his dad said, all right, you can go. The little boy bundled up, put on his hat and his coat and his mittens, and he started down the street to his friend's house. The walk seemed so long. The wind was so strong. The snow was so deep. It was so cold. And he wondered if he'd make it to his friend's house. And to be honest, he wondered why his dad had let him go. He finally got to the door of his friend's house and he turned around. And he saw his father also turn around and walk back home. The little boy at that point realized his father had been walking with him in the blizzard all the way to make sure he was safe. Can I just say to you this morning, there will be times when all of us feel alone. Times when life and our circumstances will seem so hard and so unfair. But the truth is, is that the goodness of God has been there all along. There's never been a time when we've been truly on our own. We were just mistakenly focused on the storm instead of the good Father who was watching to make sure we made it. God is good. If you quietly stand this morning.